Emergency Medical Minute presents Mental Health Monthly. Substance-induced psychosis, the agitated geriatric patient, manic episodes, paramedics, nurses, mid-level providers, and physicians in the ED all regularly have to manage patients with psychiatric conditions, often with limited training and resources. In this series, psychiatric experts keep it real, raw, and relevant about what you need to know to successfully care for these patients in an emergency setting. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Joseph Soche. I'm a third-year resident at the Medical Center of Aurora. I'm a psychiatry resident and the outpatient chief resident as well. I have an undergraduate degree in law from Stetson University College of Law, and I'm a licensed attorney in the state of Florida. However, nothing I give here should be thought of as legal advice. So we're here to discuss medical decision-making capacity and kind of the approaches to assessment of a patient in the emergency department. It's a pretty vast topic with quite a bit of literature written about it with some pretty seminal articles in the New England Journal of Medicine and some follow-up articles in JAMA as well. But essentially, it becomes a question that is difficult for many practitioners. And in fact, sometimes it's difficult to even identify. The literature does show that Sometimes physicians don't even know that their patient was unable to make a decision and did not have capacity to do so. Ultimately, I think the way that you would approach it is if you have a suspicion that someone does not have capacity, that is a good sign to determine if they do. Otherwise, people are generally assumed to have medical decision-making capacity. And I may use capacity and competency interchangeably. They're technically different legal concepts, but for purposes of this discussion and in the New England Journal of Medicine article by Applebaum, he uses them interchangeably as well. So essentially, there's four questions that need to be answered for any patient where you're worried if they have the ability to make a decision. First, they must be able to communicate their choice meaning they must clearly indicate their preferred treatment option. Second, they must understand all of the relevant information. They need to grasp the fundamental meaning of information communicated by a physician. Third, they need to appreciate the situation and its consequences, meaning they must acknowledge medical conditions and likely consequences of treatment options. And finally, they must be able to reason about their treatment options, meaning they need to engage in a rational process of manipulating the relevant information. So, to address each of these in order, the physician must ask the patient to indicate a treatment choice when they are trying to figure out if a patient is able to communicate a choice. Some questions that may be useful, as quoted from Applebaum, are, have you decided whether to follow your doctor's or my recommendation for treatment? Can you tell me what the decision is? If there's no decision, what is making it hard for you to decide? And Applebaum notes that frequent reversals of choice because of psychiatric or neurologic conditions may indicate a lack of capacity. The second set of physician assessments that are necessary to understand the relevant information are to encourage the patient to paraphrase disclosed information regarding medical condition and treatment. So, At some point before you're making this assessment, either you, if you are deciding if a patient has medical decision-making capacity, or if the person maybe that you've consulted to help you maybe is stating this to the patient, they'd kind of explain in hopefully simple words without using a whole bunch of jargon, what's going on? What is the problem with someone's health? What are the recommended treatments? What are the possible benefits and risks, discomforts of the treatment? if there's ultimate treatments and what their risks and benefits are, and if there's any risk and benefits of no treatment. So you would do that, and literally you would ask the patient 
to repeat that to you. So a patient has to understand each of these things and all of it in its complexity and its completeness. So it's, it's a little more difficult than just saying, yeah, go ahead with the surgery, doc, or go ahead with this emergency procedure, doc. They need to know what's going on to give you that informed consent so that you're not committing a battery on a patient. Thirdly, you need to ask the patient to describe their views of medical condition, proposed treatment, and likely outcomes. So do they have a connection with reality is basically where you're going here. What do you believe is wrong with your health now? Do you believe that you need some kind of treatment? What is the treatment likely to do for you? What makes you believe it will have that effect? What do you believe will happen if you are not treated? Why do you think your doctor, or me, or the consultant, has recommended this treatment? So trying to pick apart the idea if they have any delusions about their case, about their condition, if they don't really have the reality part of things, maybe they're lacking insight, meaning they can't appreciate what's wrong or what's going on with them and what the actual dangers are with the situation. And finally, you need to ask the patient to compare the treatment options and consequences and to offer reasons for selection of a specific option. So how did you decide to accept or reject the recommended treatment? And what makes one option better than the other option? So it gives you an idea that they actually thought it through. So they know to pick this version of the procedure versus the alternative because of whatever the benefits are, not because of something that doesn't make any sense. Other tools that are useful besides just having that kind of discussion, certainly a standard mini mental status exam. So Folstein you know, asking those questions. There's certainly a correlation between patients that get a score of 20 or below with lacking capacity based on the literature. And you can also use other aids and standardized tests. So one of the most well-researched tests and recommended by JAMA in an article from 2011 is the Aid to Capacity Evaluation from the Joint Center for Bioethics at the University of Toronto. And it's a pretty straightforward form questionnaire that asks you to address seven specific domains, the ability to understand a medical problem, the ability to understand a proposed treatment, the ability to understand alternative to proposed treatment, if any, the ability to understand the option of refusing proposed treatment, including withholding or withdrawing proposed treatment, the ability to appreciate reasonably foreseeable consequences of accepting a proposed treatment, the ability to appreciate reasonable foreseeable consequences of refusing proposed treatment, including withholding or withdrawing proposed treatment, the person's decision, if the person's decision is affected by depression, or if the person's decision is affected by delusions or psychosis. The website does have a PDF that kind of explains how to go through this process, and much of it is very similar to Applebaum's New England Journal of Medicine article in explaining things. However, there's a scoring system, and it gives you a number, and As with all things, that gives you a standardization, and from that standardization, you have a certain level of protection for yourself. It's not obviously the be-all, end-all in determining capacity. However, what it can do is, again, give you that protection. If something goes to court, if someone is for some reason feeling later on that you coerced them into this decision and they weren't in their right mind and they couldn't have made it, you can point to this and say, well... I mean, you seem to have been able to do this, and this is a standardized document with studies, and therefore it might be very useful in kind of discussing the process and being used as one of the factors in decision-making. So, again, the questions are pretty straightforward about the medical condition, the proposed treatment, the alternatives, the options of refusing proposed treatment, the consequences of accepting proposed treatment, the consequences of refusing proposed treatment, 
And are they depressed? So kind of your normal depression questionnaire. Do they look depressed? You know, is it because they feel punished that they're not going to make this great decision for themselves? That they're a bad person, that they're hopeless and there's no hope for the future, and they don't even deserve to be treated. Or maybe they have a delusion about the treatment that people in the emergency department are out to get them, that they're agents of some unforeseen power, or there are voices in their head that are telling them that not to trust a provider in the emergency department. So ultimately, after you score this document, it comes up with a pretty easy scoring system, and based on that, the probabilities are determined. If they are answer positively to steps 7A and 7B, those would be the depression and psychosis specifically. I would probably recommend getting a psychiatric consult at the same time just to give yourself again the cover. And I, I want to stress that any physician can determine capacity. Different states differ on the number of physicians that are needed to make the official determination. But in general, the primary attending physician is likely someone that knows all of those pieces of information or one of the consultants that is acting on a specific need for a procedure to be done. In either case, I think it's probably a good idea to consider it if you're worried about it. And that's probably your best bet. Once you've decided that someone no longer has capacity, I would refer to your relevant state statute about what to do if they obviously have a medical power of attorney or a surrogate decision maker or some form of advanced healthcare directive. That's probably where that kind of kicks in. If they don't, however, statutes vary pretty wildly by state. So I would consult with someone in your local medical community for the answer to that question.